My brave lad, he sleeps in his faded coat of blue. In a lonely grave alone lies the heart that beats so true. They will find him and know him amongst the good and true. When a robe of white is given for that faded coat of blue. No more the blue. Welcome to War of the Rebellion, stories of the Civil War. I am your host, Leon Meowser, and this is episode six of Under the Maltese Cross, Antietam to Appomattox, The Loyal Uprising in Western Pennsylvania, 1861-1865, Campaign's 155th Pennsylvania Regiment. If you remember from last week, our loyal Union Regiment is just catching up with the Army of the Potomac during the Battle of Antietam. I'm not sure if they're going to get there in time. Um, we finished up on page 72, and we're going to continue exactly there where we left off. Humphreys ordered to join McClellan. The following order, received from General Fitz John Porter, may account for Halleck's action when he reconsidered his order to Humphreys to go into camp near Frederick, instead of dispatching his fine division to the relief of the Army of the Potomac at Antietam. Headquarters. 5th Army Corps, September 17, 1862, 2.30 p.m. General A. A. Humphreys, in bivouac near Frederick. We are in the midst of the most important and extended battle of the war, and the rebels are desperate. We have driven them some distance, but it is of vital importance to get up all of our troops. Come on as soon as possible, and hurry up with all haste. Do not render the command unfit for service, but force your march. Alex S. Webb, Brigadier General, Chief of Staff, 5th Corps. On resuming the march for Antietam, Humphrey's division passed through Frederick City, where the troops were cheered and applauded enthusiastically by the residents, indicating, by the large number of Union flags displayed and the warmth of the reception, that the loyal citizens of that place were in the majority. Also, that but little success had attended the Confederate efforts to induce the citizens of Maryland to rally around the banners of the Confederacy. But three days before this reception to Humphrey's division, Bradley Johnson, himself a Marylander, with his Confederate cavalry, had posted handbill proclamations to the Marylanders along the line of the March of Lee's army, appealing to all Confederate sympathizers to aid the Southern cause. Under the pressing orders, of John Fitz John Porter, just quoted, in the earnest zeal of the division commander, General Humphreys, and of the brigade commanders, Colonel Allabach and Tyler, and also of the colonel's commanding regiments, the fourth night march to Antietam was marked by few halts for the rests, the grave emergency not permitting it. The patriotism of the men in the ranks, and their desire to reach the battlefield in time to take part in the action, inspired them to demonstrate greater endurance, and to make a better record for the continuous marching than was ever achieved by any other fresh troops in any previous campaign. Many of the men broke down and gave out from sheer exhaustion on this memorable forced night march. Many more, from overexertion on that night's campaign, contracted disabilities that made them cripples and invalids for life. The ambition of the new and experienced troops to respond to the orders and appeals of McClellan's army for help sustained them, enabling them to demonstrate their marching qualities 
so that there was less than the usual dropping out of the ranks to straggle or rest. During the night march, the column passed through Middletown, a village which bore many evidence of its proximity to the battlefields of South Mountain and Antietam, the principal buildings being converted into hospitals for the Federal wounded. On leaving the city of Washington, Humphrey's division was estimated to be 8,000 strong. General Humphreys, at the head of his troops, reached Antietam and reported to General McClellan on the field about 7 o'clock in the morning of the 18th. It was an estimated that a thousand foot-sore, wearied and exhausted men of his command had broken down fatigue on the forced march of the night, and that after short rest to recuperate, the majority of them had rejoined their command, continuing to report in detachments until near noon. On the last hour's march to join McClellan, the Union soldiers enjoyed the comforting spectacle of seeing upwards of 1,000 Confederate prisoners in their gray and butternut uniforms who were captured from Stonewall Jackson's command in the action at Antietam. The division soon after passed through the village of Boonesboro, the streets of which were thronged with ambulances conveying wounded soldiers of McClellan's army to the buildings which had been improvised as hospitals. From these ambulances, men of the 9th Pennsylvania Reserves from Pittsburgh, who had been wounded in the famous cornfield, from their seats in the ambulances, recognized and called the names of many of the 155th Regiment as it was marching to its position on the battlefield. In an ambulance passing the regiment, as it halted by the roadside, was the dead body of Major General J.K.F. Mansfield, a Union Corps commander, who had been mortally wounded on the previous day. The Pittsburghers and Western Pennsylvanians also manifested much sorrow as the body of Colonel James H. Childs, commanding the 4th Pennsylvania Cavalry, who had been killed in the cornfield the day previous, passed in an ambulance. Colonel Childs, as a native Pittsburgher, was known to most of the officers and men of the 155th, and his death caused a feeling of profound sorrow. In the words of Colonel Allen, we could realize that his death meant to those at home a sorrow, as we were to know, but one of many thousands because of the dead whose bodies as yet lay stark upon the bloody field of Antietam. Humphrey's Division Forms Reserve General McClellan, on General Humphrey's reporting that his division had accomplished the march and were ready for duty, ordered the general to relieve General Morrill's division of the 5th Corps, which had been held in reserve, and about 11 o'clock a.m., General Humphrey's marched his command to the position of the reserve of the Army of the Potomac. The men loaded their guns and formed in their first line of battle as the reserve of the army. After some changes of position, the regiment, with the division encamped in line of battle for the first night in military parlance, sleeping on their arms for the first time. It was a marked compliment to the 155th and to all of Humphrey's division, composed entirely of new troops and officers, to be selected by General McClellan for the responsible position of reserve for his army at Antietam. Though inexperienced, undrilled, and undisciplined, as they were, yet the stanima and the courage they exhibited on the memorable forced march indicated that the honor was not misplaced, and that had the enemy not retreated during the night, Humphrey's division was prepared for any emergency. As developed, 
no better illustration of the rapid transformation of the American youth from citizen to soldier could be displayed than was demonstrated in the discharge of this first duty, as it was fulfilled by Humphrey's division within two weeks from the time they first donned a military uniform. It was, therefore, no surprise that these self-same new troops, after a short two months drilling under General Humphreys, Colonel Allaback, Colonel Allen, and the other regimental and company officers, should have become so reliable and excellent in discipline and soldierly qualities as to be soon again honored by General Burnside, McClellan's successor in command of the Army of the Potomac. Humphreys and his division of Pennsylvania soldiers was assigned a most important duty at Fredericksburg. When Couch's, Sumner's, and Hancock's divisions of the 2nd Corps of Sumner's Grand Division, the celebrated Irish Brigade, and the United States Regulars, were each in turn repulsed in their dreadful assaults upon Mary's Heights, it was Humphrey's division that Burnside held in reserve, having selected it to lead the forlorn hope against the stone wall and fortifications of Mary's Heights. How well they discharged their duty is shown in the official reports of General Burnside's, Hooker, and Humphreys, who in the strongest language singled out the 155th Pennsylvania and its gallant commander, Colonel E.J. Allen, and the 123rd Pennsylvania, Reverend Colonel J.B. Clark, as entitled to special mention for conspicuous gallantry in that famous charge. Flag of Truce at Antietam General Lee's Confederate army, having been driven back through Sharpsburg to the Potomac, left the battlefield in possession of the Union army. The Confederate dead and wounded, therefore, fell into the hands of the Union forces. It is a conceded fact that the casualties at Antietam for a single day's battle surpassed in numbers and severity than of any other single day's battle on either side occurring during the war, and, consequently, attests the very severe fighting and terrible carnage on both sides. The care of the Confederate wounded and prisoners thus falling into General McClellan's hands in such large numbers, together with the unusually heavy losses sustained by his own army, imposed upon him the duty of looking after the wounded and sick of both armies. General Lee sent in a flag of truce and asked to leave to have his own Confederate surgeons remain on parole with his wounded to assist in caring for the same. This request was granted. Preparatory to retreating, General Lee is reported as having called his ranking officers together, stating that as he expected McClellan to follow up the advantage gained in the recent battle, he ordered the Confederate army to halt on the south side of the Potomac, there throw up works and to resist to the utmost the advance of the Union army if it attempted to follow. That General McClellan contemplated the immediate pursuit of the Confederates is indicated by the prompt advance of the whole army over the battlefield and through the town of Sharpsburg, which the enemy had evacuated at daylight on September 19th, a few hours previous. Battlefield Sites Sharpsburg Sharpsburg, as the 155th marched through it to the Potomac, bore many evidences of the fiery ordeal it had sustained during the Battle of the 17th. Many houses and several churches showed immense holes and fissures resulting from being struck by shot and shell. The village graveyard did not escape, and many headstones were shattered by the projectiles which lay around quite numerously. On the porches and in the backyards were to be seen terrible effects of the battle. Many dead bodies of Confederate soldiers 
terribly mangled, lying where they fell. These scenes being the first introduction that the new troops had to real war made a deep impression upon all. The inhabitants of the town of Sharpsburg, who, during the battle, had taken refuge in cellars or fled beyond the danger line, were beginning to reappear in their deserted houses, some bringing their families with them. General McClellan and his staff moved into the village about the same time the 155th was passing through, and a large United States flag was soon stretched across the main street. General McClellan, always very popular with the troops, was greeted with the most enthusiastic and cordial cheering, which he most courteously acknowledged. It was the first appearance of the commander-in-chief to Humphrey's division, and the reception so cordially and spontaneously bestowed upon General McClellan indicated that he enjoyed their love and esteem for the great victory achieved at Antietam. Reconnaissance Across the Potomac McClellan's entire army moved toward the Potomac, indicating an intention at the time to cross the river and renew the battle with the Confederates on Virginia soil. Humphrey's division, after passing through the town of Sharpsburg and a mile beyond, came to the banks of the Potomac, and at once a reconnaissance was ordered by General Fitzjohn Porter, commanding the Corps. The 118th Pennsylvania Regiment, known as the Corn Exchange Regiment of Philadelphia, was selected to make the reconnaissance and cross the Potomac at Shepherdstown. For some unknown, mysterious, and inexplicable reason, Company G of the 155th Regiment, recruited in Clarion County, Pennsylvania, was also selected to cross the river at Shepherdstown and to engage in what appeared to be either a supporting or an independent reconnaissance. The cause for the expressions of surprise at the remarkable selection of Company G for this special service is occasioned by the fact that its officers were probably the most inexperienced and the least competent at that time of any in the Army of the Potomac for so important a duty Although the men of the company just earned the reputation of being the equal of any troops in the service for soldierly qualities, the reconnaissance ordered by General Porter resulted most unfortunately for the Corn Exchange Regiment, as the enemy were behind works and were prepared for and expected a much larger demonstration from a pursuit across the Potomac by McClellan's army. The loss in this repulse was unusually large. A great many of the wounded and retreating men of the Corn Exchange Regiment being drowned in the river. Company G of the 155th was more fortunate in that respect, as it escaped from its reconnaissance without the loss of a man and saved even their knapsacks, which Captain Klotz stayed back on the north side to guard. The cannonading during the reconnaissance was interesting, but not dangerous, and towards evening, the 155th was withdrawn from the vicinity of the front and bivouacked for the night on the banks of the canal running along the Potomac River, where Alabach's brigade was placed on picket duty. This was new duty to the 155th, and most mysterious orders and countermanding of orders and many comical incidents occurred to all the novices on picket duty. All was quiet on the Potomac during the regiment's first night on this duty, and when daylight appeared, the surpassing beauty of the surrounding scenery filled all with admiration. Picket duty along the Potomac became the lot of the 155th and of Humphrey's division for several weeks in succession. Camp McGauley 
was the name given the bivouac occupied by the regiment during several weeks following. This camp was later the scene of much suffering and misery because of the inadequate provision for the care of the sick, and the increase of the mortality among the soldiers was very great. Although within a comparatively short distance, 50 or 60 miles of Washington City, the headquarters of army supplies, the requisitions of Colonel Allen for shelter tents, necessary clothing, surgeon supplies, and medicines for his regiment, although approved by General Humphreys and forwarded by General McClellan to Washington with urgent appeals for relief, received no attention whatever from the department at Washington. No one seemed to be responsible for ignoring these requisitions and demands, and consequently, great dissatisfaction prevailed in the army. Recriminations, charges, and complaints were daily occurrences, and discipline was severely impaired through this cause. The hospitals were filled, and the mortality, as stated, became alarming. The government at Washington seemed incapable of meeting or unwilling to meet the emergency. Private relief, public-spirited citizens, the Christian Commission, and other charitable organizations were touched by this condition of affairs and finally brought relief and consolation to the suffering soldiers in the camps about Antietam. The visit of President Lincoln to General McClellan at Antietam, making his headquarters General Fitzjohn Porter, commanding 5th Corps, also brought additional relief to the Army of the Potomac at this time. President Lincoln, immediately after the great battle, wired the thanks of the nation to General McClellan and his gallant army for the victory at Antietam, and shortly after paid them a visit. General McClellan, on this visit, arranged to have the Army of the Potomac reviewed by the President. Lincoln's appearance on horseback, with his singularly out-of-date silk hat and familiar but homely features, attracted great attention and elicited every mark of love and esteem as the head of the nation and the soldier's greatest friend. Camp McAuley, Flag Presentations to Regiment In this camp also, the state of Pennsylvania fulfilled its duty of furnishing state flags to the 155th and the other regiments of Humphrey's division. Governor Curtin had arranged to discharge in person the duty of presenting these colors to the various Pennsylvania regiments, and was expected to visit the troops of Humphrey's division, composed exclusively of Pennsylvania troops. However, he was prevented, and one of his staff, Colonel J. H. Polston, who was temporarily detailed from the British War Office in London to assist the War Department at Washington and Governor Curtin in organizing armies, discharged that duty in an eloquent address to which Colonel Allen responded in fitting and eloquent terms as follows. Colonel in behalf of the 155th Pennsylvania Volunteers, I receive at your hands with pride and pleasure this glorious proof that the old Commonwealth has not forgotten her sons, who went forth from her bosom to battle for the integrity of the federal arch of which she is the keystone. While I am proud that Pennsylvania deems us worthy of so precious a trust, I receive it with a saddened heart for gazing upon its starry folds, I remember the tried and the true who have gone down to the silent dead in the struggle for freedom against despotism, while the end for which they fought was yet unaccomplished. Brave spirits, gallant souls, may the memory of their deeds nerve us in our hour of battle, that we may garner the harvest of which they planted the seed. 
remembering the calm grandeur of these heroic dead, it is not for us to make promises of our future, but we may say to you, the honored representative of our native state and home, that we feel the deep responsibility resting upon all Americans in this struggle, and hope that when we go forth to the fray, we will merit the confidence of those who love us and someday may return home and deliver this banner once again to Pennsylvania. And grouped about it, may say with pride and with truth, tattered though it may be by the winds of heaven, soiled though it may be by the dust of earth, stained by the blood of our comrades in the field, we give it again to thy trust, O Pennsylvania, undimmed by shame, unstained by dishonor. One of the great inconveniences suffered by the 155th from the time it left Pittsburgh and on its march to Sharpsburg was a lack of surgeons and medicines. Dr. J.A.E. Reed of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Dr. W.S. Wilson of Blairsville, Pennsylvania, received appointments as assistant surgeons of the regiment and reported for duty in the bivouac at Camp McGauley near Antietam. Without medical supplies, hospital tents, or accommodations of any kind for the nursing and caring for the sick, these devoted officers were very much handicapped professionally in administering to the relief of the sick. Nor had the regiment the benefit of clergy of any kind, as no chaplain was appointed until the 28th of December following, when the Reverend Joseph Thomas, an esteemed Methodist minister of Pittsburgh, was appointed to chaplain. The only medical attention the regiment had from Camp Howe to Antietam was that received from Ellis C. Thorne, a private of Company F, who was later promoted to hospital steward because of his having served as drug clerk in civil life. This is going to end a little bit early today, our episode here. Rather than making it a long episode, I wanted to wrap up Chapter 3 and then record all of Chapter 4 over the next few days. Then do a weekend release on this Saturday. My job has been put off for a week due to COVID exposure, so I'd like to take some time on my hands to produce a new episode for you all. Also, it gives me a little bit of a taste about what it would be like to do this full-time, which at some time later next year, in 2022, since we're almost at the end of 2021, I will get a chance to do this full-time. Um, probably for about four or five months or so. So we'll see how it shakes out. Speaking of extra time because of COVID, I'd like to take the time to say, be like the Union and Confederate armies and get vaccinated. During the American Civil War, Union and Confederate had to be vaccinated, and they didn't even have microscopes to see a virus at the time. So, now onto the episode and past all of the notifications that I wanted to talk about. Two things that stood out to me um, in this last chapter for Chapter 3 that I'd like to chat about was the flag presentation for the 155th, and what an event that must have been feel as if your regiment is finally complete after all those weeks and marches. From my own experience, seeing my own company flag while I was in, I would have died for it. And thankfully, I didn't need to. I'm also going to include a wonderful link to a website in the show notes 
called Pennsylvania Civil War Flags org. So you can see the flags, or what remains of them, from the 155th Pennsylvania Infantry Regiment for yourselves. And the other thing that I would like to talk about, which is the more painful of the two, is the grueling march that these men went through in trying to reach the Army of the Potomac, especially as greenhorns. I was lucky enough to be born with the ability to put one foot in front of the other and keep marching, however painful it might end up especially on infantry hikes. While we wear heavier gear now than back then, I never had to march continuously, day after day. So it astounds me uh, to read about all of the suffering that these poor men went through, and then having to fight at the end of it. And on a separate note, as I wrap up this episode, um, I just want to say how excited and thankful I am at the very many wonderful Civil War websites and sources and people that exist just out there in the ether that help preserve history from the American Civil War. With that, my friends, I will go ahead and see you on Saturday. Thank you for listening to War of the Rebellion, Stories of the Civil War. And we will pick up chapter four of Under the Maltese Cross, Antietam to Appomattox, The Loyal Uprising in Western Pennsylvania, 1861-1865, Campaign's 155th Pennsylvania Regiment, on Saturday. Have a great week. In a lonely grave alone lies the heart that beats so true. They will find him and know him. Amongst the good and true When a robe of white is given for That faded coat of blue No more the bugle Calls the weary one Rest, noble spirit In thy grave alone They will find you and know you Amongst the good and true when a robe of white is given for that faded coat of blue, he cried, Give me water and just one little crumb, and my mother, she will bless you through all the years to come. Go tell my sweet sister, so gentle, good, and true, that I'll meet her up in heaven again. No more the bugle calls the weary one. Rest, noble spirit, in thy grave alone. They will find you and know you amongst the good and true. When a robe of white is given for that faded.